I'm Wayne Rubin, and I want to welcome you to the podcast, Hard Yards in Leadership, where we explore the tough leadership challenges experienced by successful leaders along their journey. I hope hearing their stories will help you predict, prepare, and survive the inevitable challenges you will face on your leadership journey. Let's get into it. G'day, everyone, and welcome to episode three of Hard Yards in Leadership. Well, if you haven't caught episode two yet... I highly suggest you do, not just because I'm the host of Hard Yards in Leadership, and of course I'm going to say all of the episodes are fantastic, but episode two I think is a cracker. We speak to Dane Hudson, who is a very experienced leader of businesses all around the world, and Dane has some fascinating stories with some great learns and also some ripper yarns as well. Dane tells the story of a time where a potential franchisee in the midst of a conversation actually put a gun on the desk in front of Dane. And uh, I have to say that in all of the things that I've ever dealt with in, in leadership, I've never had to deal with that one. And I've never found the chapter in the book on how to be a great leader that says how to deal with that situation. So I'm sure you'll enjoy hearing that and many other stories from Dane. Today, however, I am absolutely thrilled to introduce our guest, Paulwyn Devasundram. So Paulwyn is the co-founder of Medu, which is such an exciting tech startup. They're building software for coaching and personal development from scratch. And I'm just always in awe of founders who have a great idea and kind of start out and, and you know throw everything at making something happen as they push the boundaries of tech and, and usefulness of tech. So all hats off to Paul Wong for that. Prior to founding Madhu, however, Paul was a general manager and senior engineering leader at Canva, which I'm sure most of us listening to this podcast would be uh, using on a very regular basis. She posts about topics in the intersection of technology and human growth on LinkedIn. I love reading Paulin's posts. In this episode, I'll be sharing various elements of, of Paulin's leadership growth and career, going all the way back to her time at Canva, where she first found herself in the situation of being a leader and had to work out how do you do this thing, and lots of hard lessons coming pretty fast in that space. I'll be asking her about the challenge of how we approach and manage our emotions in conflicting situations. And we all deal with that on a regular basis. And Paul, and I think we'll have some fantastic perspective in, in that zone. And also just something that, that I think Paul and I have chatted about, the, the challenge as a new leader of recognizing that many of the things that you say, many of the things you decide, many of the ways you do things, people just disagree with. And just how do we learn to kind of just live with that and what do we learn to do? So I, I look forward to hearing Paulwyn's views on those and also other other elements of kind of personal blockers and so on that um, that we all carry and have to find our way of dealing with when we've got this thing called leader written on, on the badge on our shirt. So with that, really looking forward to speaking with Paulwyn. Welcome. Welcome, Paulwyn. Thanks, Wayne. Thanks so much for having me. And yeah, I'm very excited to be here and uh, share some of my stories. Fantastic. So, Paulwyn, um, just to get us going, can I ask you to kind of take us back in your in your career? And if you can think to when was the first time you realized you kind of were starting to take on leadership responsibility? Mm. Yeah, that's such a great question. So, for context, I am an engineer by background, software engineer, and I've always worked in tech through my whole career. And the start of it or the early days of it, quite a large part of it was sitting at my computer writing code, not necessarily interacting a lot with people. So it was very uh, 
in my own bubble, doing my own thing, getting things done, which is super fun and super productive. But then, of course, you reach a point where you're looking for more and you are interested to see where you can grow and where you can develop. And actually, the moment where I realized that that was happening is still very clear in my mind. <laughs> and that was at Canva, where I was part of a small team working on payments and subscriptions, and we were in a room with Cliff, who is one of the founders of Canva. We were sitting together discussing this big project that we needed to do because it would be a great way to deliver Canva's value to an entirely new group of customers, as well as gain more market share for Canva. So it was this big project, and we were in this room trying to figure out who should lead this project, <laughs> who should work on it. And uh, I think there were about three people in the room and Cliff, so four in total. We were sitting there and in my head, I'm thinking, oh yeah, who's going to lead this project? This is really important. And everyone else in this room is occupied with equally important projects. So I'm seriously thinking who's going to be able to do this. And Cliff said, Poen, you can do it. <laughs> in that moment, I felt like he had more confidence in my ability than even I did. And of course, I agreed, uh, worked on that project. It was a success. It went really well. But that moment really stuck in my mind of somebody saying, here, there's no one else. There's no point looking around. <laughs> it's you and you have to do it. So yeah. that was really that moment of going from an individual contributor working on my in my own bubble to taking that journey towards leadership and bigger things. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure, Paul, and for many of our listeners listening in today, you know, a lot of people have similar tech background to you and, and other people are specialists in whatever their own field. And I think a lot of people have that experience where all of a sudden leadership is thrust upon them. And, you know, it's <laughs> it's interesting that you're able to so clearly kind of recreate that very, very specific moment. Just staying in that space for a moment, what were some of the first words that kind of flashed across your mind as you realized you were going to be the one that was going to lead that project? <laughs> yes, it was a mixture of fear and excitement. Yeah. The thing that uh, stands out to me now looking back is this sense of I'm going to give this my best, you know, this is going to be the best thing ever because of the way that I saw that people, not just Cliff in the room, but the others in the room trusted me and they were like, yeah, of course. Uh, Paulwin can do it. And that sense of confidence they had in me made me feel this great sense of uh, agency that I hadn't felt to that extent before, where I felt like, yes, this is my thing. It's going to be great. And we're going to do awesome. That's one thing that stands out in retrospect. But I think if, if it was the the first thought that went through my mind, it was probably, oh, crap, <laughs> I, I'm in the spot. Oh, no. <laughs> it's almost the careful what you wish for, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and in those early days when suddenly you had leadership responsibility, where were you taking your lessons in leadership? Yeah, that's such a good question because whether we notice it or not, we are doing this subconsciously all the time. We are looking at other people and we're learning from them. So we're constantly absorbing those inputs and replicating those behaviors, especially in the context of a team or a work environment where we see other successful people and we try to replicate those behaviors because we see that it leads to success. That mm. can be a good and a bad thing. So in those early days, I looked up to my immediate 
leaders within my team. I looked up to people like Cliff and Mel to see that the way that they approach leadership and absorbed their behaviors, tried to initially just imitate, but then learn from those behaviors and learn about what does it mean to be successful in this role, in this new role where it's not just my work that I'm responsible for. I'm responsible for more people and their work as well. So I was learning from my immediate circle of people around me and then slowly evolved that to learning from books and reading about leadership and gathering more perspectives on leadership, understanding how it works in different companies and trying to create my own view and my own kind of leadership behaviors, I suppose. Yeah, that makes a heap of sense. And I think, again, like many people, when they first take on that responsibility of leadership. They don't necessarily have a lot of formal training to rely on and and thinking of people who've kind of been mentors to you along the way, even if it wasn't overt at the time, is a fantastic place for you to take your early lessons. And, you know, we also hear that often we learn our best leadership traits by the positive role models where we say, I want to do what they do. And sometimes the negative role models where we go, and I'm never going to do that when I'm the person that's in charge. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, the negative examples are very useful as well. And tend to be very powerfully remembered. Yes. So since this podcast is called Hard Yards in the Leadership Journey, let's dive into into that space. And Paul, I'm going to ask if you can you know, in those early days of of being a leader, if you can think of one of the first times where you were faced with a challenge that really kind of rocked your boat and perhaps if you can think of a specific instance and and tell our listeners a little bit about what was happening and what you had to deal with. Mm. Yeah, there's a few that come to mind and uh, maybe I'll start with one that was very, very hard for me. And that was an instance where I was leading a new group. So I was stepping up to lead a set of teams rather than a single team. And there was a fellow leader who wasn't performing at the level that was expected of people in that position, unfortunately. And because of the nature of how things were evolving within the company, it sort of fell to me to take this further because this fellow leader's lack of performance over months was impacting the entire group and impacting everyone because Mm. when someone's not, anyone in a team is not doing great, people notice and people Mm. want to understand, well, are we being treated fairly if uh, this person who isn't doing the same or who's expected to do more work than we are expected to do Mm. is not quite there, then are we being treated fairly? So it causes a lot of tension and a lot of stress within the team. And this was happening within this group. And it fell to me to then take this further and discuss what is the best way forward for this leader, for our group, as well as for the broader company. And those conversations were extremely difficult. I am Mm. naturally very action, do things, move fast sort of person. But of course, when you are in this position where you have to have these very tough conversations on 
output and performance and the impact that a leader is having in, on their team, it takes a lot of nuance, a lot of patience, a lot of empathy, because no matter how much empathy you have, this conversation is painful for everyone involved. So it was my first experience of going through that process and reining in that impatience that I have of make decisions quickly, move quickly to then say, no, sometimes slow and being patient and mm. having each painful conversation one step at a time is the way forward and is the best and fastest way forward. Yeah. Do you remember how you felt as you were preparing for the first of those conversations? Yeah, very nervous. I had a lot of help. So I was fortunate in that I had a lot of people who were supporting me and helping me through that. But I prepared a lot for the conversation, but it can only take you so far. And I felt super nervous going into the conversation. I didn't know what the outcome of it would be. I didn't know how it would impact me, this being the first time that I was having this kind of discussion, especially with a peer. It's not just an individual contributor. It's someone who is a peer and who is responsible for many people. So it was uh, nerve wracking. <laughs> and also I have this tendency of being like, what are other people going to think? And so that was one of the big causes of anxiety of what does this mean for how people perceive me? So yeah, a lot of these kind of thoughts going on in my head, but ultimately I knew that this was good for the group. I knew that for the long term, we needed to do this and we needed to have these conversations. So that really carried mm. me through. And the, having that in mind of that bigger picture, that end goal in mind helped carry me through. And the great reminders for people, how did it go? Did it all go smoothly? <laughs> Or were there some rough parts along the way? Oh, yes, there were some very rough parts along the way. We had a, uh, at least one conversation where I had to just say, no, we have to stop this discussion now because it's just not productive at all. So there were some very, very rough parts along the way. But at the end of the process, when the outcome was all decided, we shook hands and it wasn't a acrimonious, like, I don't want to look at you in the face. Mm. situation at all and I think that was only possible because they could see where I was coming from they could see the big picture as well so while there were some very hard parts along the way ultimately it wasn't something that left this bitter taste in my mouth that I felt like oh I got nothing out of it or none of us got anything out of it it mm. still resulted in something that put everyone on a path to a better place. So I was very grateful for that outcome. Yeah. I think it's great, you know, when you shared that part of, you know, there's one part of the conversation where you basically had to kind of time out and say, we have to call, yeah. call this isn't going anywhere. And I think that's a great learn for people listening that sometimes that's part of the process. You know, these situations often are dealt with over multiple conversations and, you know, the nature of, you know, there's just so much emotion bound up in in this and, you know, especially in a peer-to-peer -peer kind of setting. And sometimes also if, you know, maybe you can be in a situation where maybe you're having to have the conversation with someone that's older or, you know, for other sort of other different elements has some sort of cultural hierarchy that 
you kind of feel you're talking up to this person, but (laughs) they're all complicating factors as well. But knowing that sometimes actually you just have to call a conversation and pull the plug and say, we'll come back another day when emotions are are settled and whatever else is a a really powerful lesson. Yeah. I'm glad that I did that in that moment and didn't let it disintegrate so far that there was no coming back. And I think you're so right in that as much as we keep things professional in a work context and we try to leave emotion out of it, I don't think that's actually possible. We're humans. We bring emotions. We bring all of the baggage around social constructs into work. And it's not fair to expect us to be unemotional in those situations and to be purely objective. I think sometimes you need to almost flush those emotions out and then you can be objective. Well said. I think that the space that you're in here is, you know, kind of for for listeners kind of looking for reference. I mean, that this whole space ultimately is kind of this thing that we call emotional intelligence, isn't it? It's kind of like emotional intelligence isn't just about being smart about your emotions. It's recognizing that every emotion that we put out creates another emotion in someone else and the emotion that someone else puts out creates an emotion in us. So, it's always action and reaction. And in those highly charged situations, sometimes you realize that the ping, ping, ping is actually just essentially going into a negative spiral. And if you let that go, it just turns into an emotive wreck. And the best thing to do to avoid an emotive wreck sometimes is just pull the pin and walk away. Yes, (laughs) that is true. And Paul, when I, I recall that you were saying one of the things that kind of was in your kind of like the stress and anticipation of the buildup is how are other people going to feel about what I'm doing and how other people are going to feel about how I'm doing it. Mm. And I'm interested in your reflections on, you know, once this deed was done, what were your observations around your organisation? Yeah, I think that there was a, the majority of people understood the broader context and they understood where I was coming from with being the person that was kind of, (laughs) you know, asking the hard questions. So the vast majority of people understood that and they had a huge amount of respect for me in my understanding. I don't know, we'll have to double check with them, but my understanding was that they had a huge amount of respect for that. And they saw me as a person who was honest and who could speak the truth and call things out. Like I said before, when someone's not doing that well in a work context, people know it's not that it's unobvious to anyone at all. And it was just obvious to me, people know. So they respected me for speaking that truth. But I do think that when you have those hard conversations, you do end up alienating at least some people. And so there were definitely some people who felt that it was very harsh, it was unnecessary, or that I could have handled it better. I think Yes, I could have handled many things better, but I think ultimately it was good for the group and for everyone. So I think it was mixed, but the vast majority of people respected where I was coming from and were able to see me as someone who spoke the truth. But I think my core nature is a little bit of a pleasing nature of wanting to be friends with everyone and wanting to not get on anyone's bad books. (laughs) So that was a little bit bitter for me to realize that that's not actually going to be possible as a leader. If you stand up for things and if you speak the truth of what you believe, you will alienate people and you have to be okay with that. And that's an incredibly important space for 
I was going to say new leaders, but really all leaders to kind of come to terms with and find peace with, isn't it? And I think what you said will resonate with so many people listening here that, you know, particularly in our newer, earlier years as a leader, especially when we've come from the team, we want to be friends still with people and we want to make decisions as leaders that people will kind of look up to. But we you have that recognition at some point that you're actually never going to please all of the people all of the time. And I think people can very often kind of get quite churned up inside focusing on the few people who think either you made the wrong decision or that, you know, you could have done it better. How have you learned to deal with not focusing on those few people and recognising that in pretty well every decision we make, there's going to be some people who go, that was a great decision. And there's going to be some people who go, why did she decide that? Yeah, yeah. Since those early days, I've obviously come quite a long way. And I have developed a sense of peace over that and come to terms with the fact that there will always be people who don't agree with what you do. There will always be people who don't think what you're doing is interesting and don't care. Some people who might might even be actively antagonistic. And I have come to terms with the fact by focusing on the people who do care and doubling down on that and focusing on the good things without kind of being blind to any criticism. I think that's very important as well, because when you're a leader, and especially in the early days, when you get criticism, it can be very painful, it can be almost kind of, you know, like they're judging your character and your person. And that can be a blocker to actually acting on those criticisms. So doubling down on the good things and really recognizing the good things and the good feedback and the people who support you but keeping an eye out for those criticisms because that's often where you can grow and really trying hard to push the boundary of that as well. Where the criticism is warranted, it's reasonable, it's well-delivered, I think it's important to be open to that at the same time as being focused on the positives and being focused on the support that you have. Yeah, they're great messages, Paul. And I think, you know, when I think of, you know, I work with other leaders in coaching environments and so on, and this kind of topic comes up a lot. And, the, you know, the, the space that we often try and get people to recognize is that in the first instance, you are never going to please all of the people all of the time. Leadership is about making decisions and being decisive. And the vast majority of people recognize that. For the people who think you've made the wrong decision, because not everyone is going to agree with you, I think the most important thing that we need to get good at is being able to recognize those people having a view and having a different view and being able to have a conversation with them and say, you know, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. My decision is still my decision, but I'm not blind to the fact that you have a different view and I understand that. And I think we get better at finding peace with the way we develop our culture. And you talked before about essentially kind of building trust in your, your leadership brand. And when people feel, I think, that they have been listened to, even if not agreed with, that's a very powerful thing. And it's also then very settling because, you know, I don't want leaders walking around all the time churned up about the fact that, you know, some people think I'm doing it wrong or some people think the way I handled that was wrong. And the simple fact is, whatever you do, some people are going to think that. <laughs> and we don't want to be churned up about it all of the time. Yes. Yeah, exactly. That was a... A uh, long lesson <laughs> to learn, <laughs> and I'm still a journey. You're listening to Hard Yards in Leadership, where leaders share the stories of their hardest yards in their leadership journeys. 
I hope every leader who hears these stories recognises that the things that they find hard are the same things that the rest of us leaders find hard too. It's my dream that every leader finds the joy in leading. It will help you be a happier person, a better leader for your business, and a better leader for those that you lead. If you like the show, please subscribe, drop us a review, and most importantly, share to others who may benefit from it too. Now back to the show. It is indeed. So let's stay on the journey then. Um, you shared a, a story from very early in your leadership time. Let's kind of jump in the little time machine and sort of come forward a little bit, maybe to kind of like the mid-phase of your leadership journey. And maybe if there's some, again, a, a particular thing that sort of came along that even as a, a relatively experienced leader, you suddenly found yourself feeling really challenged and love to hear one of those stories, Paul. Yeah, maybe not necessarily a super specific anecdote, but a thing that I have struggled with and I still am learning to do is when you have a strong belief and you disagree with someone else who has an equally strong belief, but they have an opposing view or a totally different view, I have struggled to communicate with them and either convince them or find middle ground. And that's still a work in progress for me of when you have these strong beliefs on either side and you both believe that you are doing the best thing for the team or for the company, how do you then have a discussion that leads to a productive path, whether that is together or by convincing one person of the other person's point of view? I think That's a super important skill to have as a leader. And what my tendency often is to get angry. I will try, like I would try explaining my point of view. And I would try that many times, listen. But then if the conversation isn't going forward, then I tend to get frustrated and angry. And then from there, it's very hard to break out of that. When one person's angry, then it's really hard to break out of that and find your way forward again. So that's something I'm still working on of uh, when I have that strong belief and I'm confronted with an equally but opposite strong belief, how do we actually have a productive conversation and come out of it with an outcome without having to have, you know, someone else come and intervene and be the <laughs> intermediary to get you both. A to, moderator. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Without having a moderator in the middle, how do you navigate those conversations? That's still a work in progress for me. So I would actually love to hear if you have any thoughts on <laughs> on that. Well, first of all, you know, thanks for sharing that. That's still something that, that you find challenging because I think, again, I can imagine virtually everyone in our audience listening to this podcast will say, oh, gosh, I you know, I can relate to that because it's something that never really goes away. I mean, we're grappling with multiple complexities that, again, have emotion caught up in them. And I guess, you know, again, if I kind of think about how I would, you know, advise someone in a coaching or mentoring space, you know, with these sorts of things, the first is to recognize that the sense of wanting to be angry when I've done everything I can to persuade someone about my point of view and they still won't move, the sense of starting to become angry is perfectly logical. That's a natural evolution of emotion in that situation. And the simple reality is they're probably angry at you and maybe earlier, but if you're the boss and they're not, 
they're probably working harder to keep the, the lid on their emotion, but it's actually bubbling away underneath. And, you know, one thing we know and we mentioned it earlier is, you know, anger plus anger in any conversation, whether it's at work or at home, has rarely got a great outcome. <laughs> so one of the things we want to try and teach ourselves is to recognize provocation moments or triggers and relearn what is our response to that trigger, what's our emotional response to that trigger. So when we recognize that, the first thing is, I believe, and a quick segue, Adam Grant, if listeners have have read or are interested in in reading um, a wonderful book that kind of gets into these spaces, it's Think Again by Adam Grant. And he talks a lot about how to deal with these sorts of things and recognizing that sometimes two polar opposite points of view will essentially never migrate to one shared view. So the challenge then is no longer to try and persuade the person why you're right, because they may be unpersuadable and you may be unpersuadable as well. One of the things that we always do want to do, regardless of our hierarchy, is make sure that we haven't become so closed mind and so kind of caught up in our own point of view that we don't allow ourselves to listen to whatever logic and maybe additional perspective or whatever the other person's bringing, because it may be that they're seeing things that we're not seeing and we should be seeking to learn from them. And so, we, you know, Adam Grant talks about approaching it as a scientist rather than as a politician. And as a scientist, it's like, okay, well, you've got a very different point of view. What is it that you've seen? What inputs have you processed that takes you to that point of view. So you break that down. So it's less about arguing the answer and more about getting into the things that built up toward the answer. And of course, when you adopt that frame of mind, you become inquisitive, curious, which is a very different emotive state, which the other person picks up on. And so their anger comes down and they start more talking about their thing. And, And if you see a flaw in their logic, you can kind of go, but to that is in a little illogical jump. And sometimes they'll go, oh, yeah, I hadn't really seen it from that perspective. Or in that, you will sometimes go, gosh, that actually does make sense. So I think, I don't want to spend too long on that, but I think that relearning how to respond to that trigger moment, if you go, I'm about to become angry, instead, let me become a scientist and let, let me become inquisitive and curious and ask more before I just ultimately clash. The other final thing that I'll say is, which I think is really important for for new leaders to come to terms with, is at a certain point in every organisation, a decision has to be made. And we make big decisions. Often we think, maybe I'll try and compromise because that will keep people on board. But sometimes black is a good answer and sometimes white is a good answer, but grey often is a bad answer. So being comfortable as a leader in in getting to a point and saying, you know, I've really appreciated listening to your point of view and seeking to understand your point of view and you bring a lot of great points. Ultimately, we can only go one direction and it's time I'm I'm putting on my CEO hat or my leader's hat and saying, this is the decision and I'm simply going to ask you to work with that decision when you're at work. If you quietly always believe there was a better answer, that's okay too. But when you come in, put on your, you know, we're at me do and this is what we do. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah, disagree and commit. Yeah. yeah. I love that. And I've seen that, again, in practice so often where we've had those 
opposite opinions, but then a decision has to be made, whether it's by one person or the other, depending on the context. And then the other person commits to the decision, whether they agree with it or not. So I think that's a very productive way of looking at things. And also going back to everything you were saying, I thought that was a great coaching moment. And I realized that in those contexts, having coaching with the two people is usually super helpful to put people into that inquisitive frame of mind where which you described so well and look at each other just as humans. And it's okay. You don't agree with what what I think, but that's totally okay. I see where you are coming from. Mm. And that, yeah, puts you in a place where, like you said, you pick black or white and you don't end up in this gray middle ground, which doesn't really help anyone or solve the problem. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of people listening to this will be founders or CEOs, people who ultimately have decision-making responsibility for the success of their organization. And, you know, organizations succeed by having unique offerings and clear propositions. When we try and compromise those, you know, we take something that's sharp like a triangle and we turn it into something that looks like an oval or an ellipse or something, and it's a blob. And that can have really devastating negative effects on the success of your organization because you're trying to take compromise when ultimately what you need is a different technique in the conversation, but you need a decisive and strong response when it comes to the decision itself. And I think you talked before about you know how your people will see you and all of those sorts of things. We talked about this concept of your brand as a leader and recognizing that it's more important that people respect you then agree with you or like you. And that part of earning respect as a leader is people seeing that you're prepared to make a decision even though you've heard them and disagree. That actually builds respect in the majority of people. Some people are just bitter and twisted and they're not people we should have in our organisations anyway. Yes, yeah, I agree. I think that the vast majority of the time, if you are not in the shoes of that leader, you don't really know what all of the context is and you don't always understand what is at stake because usually leaders have quite a lot of high-level context that is either very difficult to share or not shared with everyone, or it doesn't make sense to share with everyone. So while we can question all of the decisions they make, looking at it from our point of view, I think that unless you are in exactly those shoes, it's very hard to understand those contexts. And sometimes those decisions need to be made where you just won't have agreement from people. Yeah. So Paul, I'm going to go back again and and bring ourselves up to kind of the last couple of years, and that encompasses, I guess, COVID times, some fairly significant changes for you in, in your, your direction and so on, and whatever you've been through in, the, in, in these last two years. Again, the question, can you think of a particular situation or, or, or thing that's really kind of challenged you that you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think the last year and then a bit more as well, founding Midu, kind of going from working at startups or working at companies to doing my own thing, a lot of it has been, a lot of the challenges have been about self-leadership because much more so than when I was at a company or at another startup. Now, as the founder of my own 
startup, I see all of the shortcomings and all of the blockers of myself a lot more because there is no safety net. It's all on you, essentially, especially when in these early days. So every blocker or every shortcoming is super clear. And for me, the challenge has been to see them, acknowledge them and work through them. So for for example, I've struggled with anxiety in the past. And so I have this tendency to have panicky feelings if I feel overwhelmed. And in the context of a company, you have so much support and you have a lot of support systems, even in a startup that has a bigger team, you have a lot more support than you do when you are a tiny team or on your own. So navigating those feelings of if I give in to this panicky feeling, if I give in to this anxious feeling, then there's nothing thing to like hold things there's really nothing has been a forcing factor to really challenge whatever those blockers are and help me grow and confront fear of for instance even where i was managing a big group of people i did have a tendency to fall back to the things that were comfortable for me that were familiar for me and not necessarily always push myself to do the things that i feel felt fearful of but were necessary to do but yeah when you're building a startup you have to do those things no matter how scared you are no matter how unfamiliar those things are you have to figure out a way to learn them and do them so i think that's been my journey over the last year and a half or so mm, that's an amazing thing. Thing to share and you know again i i'm kind of always you know conscious of the sort of people who'll be listening to to this podcast and you mentioned you know and thanks for sharing you know you have an anxiety challenge at, at times and you know i think so many founders you know particularly with all of the pressures and, and responsibility that they suddenly find themselves under you know there's always the the kind of the beauty of the dream and the excitement of all of these things that are going to happen but in the context of making them happen one thing that that's you know everyone goes through is this piling of responsibility and sense of you know the buck really does completely stop here and again as you say especially in the very early days like and and I'm it and for any of us that have any kind of like you know little demons that we find ourselves challenged by at times learning to kind of keep those at bay and find a coping mechanism and all of those sorts of things is critical because the alternative is the ship sinks, right? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, the alternative is that you don't get to realize that vision that you are working towards and you believe so much in. So the <laughs> self-leadership is so important when you are in the early days and at any time as a founder. But also, I think I've realized that while there may not may not be the same kind of support systems that you have in a larger organization or a more more mature organization, there are still people who have walked this path in some form before and looking up to them, understanding what they faced and learning from their experiences, adopting the tools that, that, that have helped them navigate the mm. same journey is super helpful and makes you feel less lonely in any case, knowing that this path has been walked by other people before. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think, again, for people, particularly who are relatively early in their journey, if they haven't yet kind of worked on developing a bit of a mentor kind of network, you know, sometimes you kind of go, I'm too busy to kind of put time into developing those things. Or if I reach out to that person, like, you know, what are they going to think or whatever it might be? My experience in today's age I'm sure there's some people who will say, no, go away. But I think 
vast majority of people, if someone reaches out and says, you know, hey, can I have a 15-minute conversation with you occasionally if I'm kind of just really challenged or whatever it might be, the vast majority of people are going to frankly feel honored to be able to, you know, help someone, you know, through some of those critical moments. And the lesson of doing a little bit of investment and in, in making sure that there's always a life raft in the, you know, in the cabinet, I think is very powerful. And that you use the term self-leadership, mm. which is something that, you know, listening to you, it's obvious that you've kind of had a very active kind of self-leadership, self-coaching kind of dialogue in your in your mind along along your journey. And that's a wonderful thing for people to develop as well. We've all got a, a voice in our minds. And if we don't learn to control that voice, it can be quite a negative voice. Yeah. But we can train it, can't we? <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that voice of like the negative critical voice can often be the lens through which you see the world, which means that everything and everyone that you see, your interactions are all colored by that lens. So really working on that internal monologue and critically thinking, well, is that monologue correct <laughs> or is it not? But of course, I should add that I've had a lot of support along the way from many people, including coaches, that have helped me refine that internal monologue and that process mm. of self-leadership. So very grateful to them. And of course, for anyone listening, if they want to reach out to me directly or if they want to speak about anything or spend half an hour chatting about their experiences, always open to chatting. Oh, that's really nice. Thank you so much, Paul. I'm going to ask you one more question, then I'll actually just invite you just to sh share a little bit about Medu for the audience. But I have a, a fun little kind of concluding question. And so work with me on this. So here we go. I'm going to give you a bucket of paint and a paintbrush. <laughs> yep. And your challenge is you're going to write something on the wall that's opposite basically your workspace. So whenever you're at work and you look up, you see those words. What do you write? <laughs> oh, this is going to be a little bit morbid, but I'll probably write something along the lines of your time is limited. And that's always been a thought that I come back to every time I have to make a hard decision or every time I'm really tempted to take the lazy path, do the easy thing, I try to put it in that perspective of our time here is limited. So what do I want to make out of it? Do I just want to take the easy path and coast? Or do I want to make those hard decisions, make the hard choices and create something more interesting, go places where people haven't been before, perhaps, you know, explore mm -hmm. new things. Mm -hmm. I find that thought of we have limited time to be such a great perspective creator. That's so nice. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I don't think that was really morbid at all. <laughs> I think that's a great message for us all. So as I promised, quick moment to share with the listeners, you know, what does me do and, you know, how do people find you if they want to talk about what it is that you're doing now? Thanks, Wayne. So a little bit of context again first. Through my leadership journey, I found coaching to be incredibly valuable in helping me grow and navigate those anxious feelings, for example. And the reason for that is coaching is very action-oriented and very forward-looking, where it's um, not solely about helping you deal with negative things that might have happened in the past, but really helping you 
grab things with your hands and chart your way forward. That's how I've experienced coaching and working in tech, seeing the kind of tools that we have as engineers and designers in tech. I noticed that there aren't the same kind of tools for coaches to use. So Midu is really about building those tools for coaches, but also for people in that space of growing others. So it could be for managers, for therapists, anyone who's a practitioner in that space. We're building tools to support support the process of coaching. So it's a tool that they can use in their day-to-day, document the coaching journey, track their progress, analyze their insights, and accelerate that growth process, helping people reach new levels of growth. That's our goal. And uh, yeah, it's a software tool. It's Currently in closed beta, uh, but we are launching very soon in March is our planned launch. And you can find us on midu.life, so M-E-D-O-O.life, and sign up to our waitlist if you're interested. Sounds fantastic. And I'm sure as much as there'll be some professional coaches listening to this who will be excited to hear about that, but exactly as you say, for for every leader out there that has people reporting to them, coaching their their reports and, and, and other folks in their broader organization is one of the most important things that they can possibly do. And in this age today where we have every survey that, that kind of comes back that kind of talks about massive amounts of disengagement and dissatisfaction in the workforce. And when you kind of break into that, you know, some of the highest contributing factors are people who feel that they're not appreciated in their role and that there's no real career prospects for them wherever they are. And, you know, leaders being more systematic and driving kind of more attention and more thought around how they have their coaching discussions with their people can address so many of those concerns without necessarily giving people a promotion every 18 months, which is just a sugar pill. I think there's a massive opportunity for the tool that that, that you bring and, and, and such an extraordinary need in, in today's workplace. You know, if we can create more engaged people, companies will perform better and more engaged people have a much happier work life and that's a pretty good thing as well. So I'm sure Medu will play a huge contribution to all of those things. Yes, I hope so. So thank you so much, Paulwyn. I really appreciate you being with us today. Some fantastic lessons and anecdotes shared, and uh, I'm sure listeners will get a tremendous amount from it. So a huge vote of thanks from me. <laughs> thank you so much, Wayne. This was such a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to another incredible episode where successful leaders share their hardest yards. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to let people know by sharing the episode around and rating and reviewing the podcast on the platform you listen on. Feel free to join our online community on LinkedIn. You can find the link in our show notes. I look forward to seeing you next week. Meanwhile, keep learning, find the joy in what you do and keep believing in yourself as a leader.